men, it's always nice to come up after a, a real festive song and be like, and now I'm going to bring you all down. <laughs> no. Um, I don't know who has nursery. Oh, all right. So we have nursery. If the kids want to go back, they can go back. If they want to stay here, to be honest, that would probably make me happier just because I like kid noises. I, I shared this with, um, with Lindsay. This thought is not original to me. Um, I actually heard it, I think, from a, a pastor named Sky Jatani. If you listen to the Holy Post, um, you may have heard him say this. It may not have been Sky, but uh, one of the remarkable things that happened, this is a freebie, okay? This has nothing to do with the sermon. But one of the remarkable things that happens in Scripture is Paul does these things called household codes. It's actually the Greek word uh, economics or economics. Um, we think of that with money, but economics literally just means how the house is operated, the rules of the house. Um, and so Paul does these things. Now, uh, Jan, one of my favorite experiences in uh, tapestry history involves you in a household code. You may remember this. We were reading from Ephesians, and it says uh, that uh, husbands and wives are supposed to submit themselves to one another, and then um, it says, wives, submit yourselves to husbands. And you were like, I don't know about that. And it led to one of what I just think was one of these moments where it's like, oh, God just showed up. That was a household code. And one of the things that happens that is just truly remarkable is in the household codes, Paul talks to children. Now, to us, that's no big deal because we are raised in an environment where we go, oh, kids, they're wonderful. And we like telling stories and, and you know, you're okay when somebody shares the, the 40th photo of their, their baby with you. Um, but kids were not thought of that way in the ancient Near East. They were a burden quite often. They were income other times. They were things that you had control of. And so while household rules, economics were common in then, the, what it was gonna happen was, it was gonna tell the wives how they were supposed to obey the fathers or the, the husbands and the slaves, how they were supposed to obey the masters, and the children, how they were supposed to obey the parents, but it was never going to teach the children anything else because there was an expectation that when anything important was going on, the only people in the room were men. Now, that's not black or white because Rome was also a place of, of, uh, of status, so a woman who had very high status might have some say when it came to men uh, that had less status. But the thing is, is that Paul gives instructions to the children in the church because he just assumes the children will be there with them. Again, that doesn't seem remarkable to us. It doesn't seem remarkable to us that, that uh, Charlie and Janie are in the room with us at all. But in the ancient Near East, it would have been remarkable. So to be honest, it's why I love the fact that we have kids, uh, uh, kids sounds. Anybody who comes here as a guest is like, you know, it's too noisy because the kids, we are not, we're never going to be the right church for them. Uh, one, because I know most of you love it. But two, you have a pastor who is never going to be like, that kid's noisy, he needs to be out of the room. Or she needs, because that is the sound of the voice of God. So I should probably focus on the sermon. We're going to hit the scripture instead, okay? Yeah, thanks. And Abishua is going to be nice enough to operate the uh, PowerPoint for me um, while I read from John 11 and throw things around. 
So if you would turn in your Bibles or to the bulletin or just look behind me to the 11th chapter of John. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. Uh, This is going to be a story that's going to be familiar to many of you. We're going to talk about the death and resurrection of Lazarus um, for the next three weeks, okay? So this is what the Word of the Lord says. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary whose brother Lazarus now laid sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for, the, for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister Lazarus. Uh, excuse me, and her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews have tried to, uh, to stone you, and yet you were going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is uh, when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So, I don't know about you, but I love movies and books that trick me. It is, it is wonderful to me, and some of this, truthfully, I, I don't have many talents in this world, but I am really good at story. Uh, that's one of the things that, that uh, studying the Bible for so many years has, has helped me with. Uh, it it kind of irks Pam a little bit because it is unusual that I don't just guess the ending by about halfway through whatever movie we're watching. Um, and I'll notice points. I'm just really good at story. And so when something can actually trick me, it, it really floats my boat. So for some of you, you're going to be like, this is an ancient movie, but for me, it's not. Many of you will remember The Sixth Sense, and I loved The Sixth Sense because it was one of the few movies where I didn't get the fact that he was dead. Now, it, I was going to say, Eric is going to say it's spoilers. This book, is, this movie is from 1997. If you have not seen it yet, that is on you. So, you know how I said that we are the voice of God together? That's not true when you're a distraction. <laughs> I loved this movie, and so many other people did that, truthfully, it kind of became his thing. If you watch uh, M, and I never can pronounce his last name, M. Night Shyamalan, I used to, for the longest time, say Shyamalan, ding dong, um, Shyamalan. Um, Like, for the next two movies afterwards, it became his thing. He tried to trick you again. Actually, in my opinion, this is the best movie ever made, Unbreakable. It didn't trick me, but it's incredible. If you love superhero movies, this started the whole superhero movie thing, but it's not cheesy like a lot of the Marvel stuff is now uh, or, and not bad like a lot of the DC stuff. This was wonderful. It was great. Uh, the Village, 
He did it again. It became his thing. There's a book, if you've ever read uh, Silence of the Lambs, uh, he, he kept on going on, and he wrote a book called Hannibal, and it, it so shocked me that literally I was reading it at about 1 a.m. because I reached this point where I was like, I'm going to finish the book if I stay up, and it kept on, it, like pages start adding to the book. Have you ever been there where it's like, I only have to read 30 more minutes, and then I'll finish, and then like two hours later, you're like, I only need to read 30 more minutes, and it'll finish. At like 1 a.m., it so shocked me that I finally went, oh my word, while Pam was asleep. I love being shocked. And the passage we read today, well, we get used to it, but it would have shocked the people who read it originally. It would have definitely shocked the people that heard it because there's this constant interplay of Jesus loves them. Jesus purposely waited. And you can't read it any other way. He knew Lazarus was going to die and he waited. Now, we can just let Jesus off the hook and be like, well, he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. But he still allowed his friend to go through death. Okay, you may have dealt with people. I know some of you in the room being nurses, you've dealt with people who've come close to death before, and you saw how scary that was for them. This is one of those shocking things because the obvious thing you're supposed to do when you love someone is you're supposed to run to take care of their need if you can. But that's not what happens here. So let's talk through Scripture. The story is that Jesus knows that Lazarus is going to die. He's with his disciples, and he's a ways away. And if you remember, the reason he's a ways away, the disciples bring this up, is because he was going to be killed by the Jewish leaders. If you go back to, to the 10th chapter, he just left the Bethany area because he was going to be killed by the Jewish leaders. Why? Because they said he blasphemed, because he said that he was the Son of God. He knows this is a dangerous place, but he also knows that his friend is uh, sick to the point that he's going to die. And he knows that because his sisters send word. This is an amazing act of faith, okay? Anytime you, you hear someone say that the Bible is, is not a feminist text, and I, I'm not trying to go into everything on that, but like the women in the New Testament are generally amazing when you come down to it. Mary and Martha see that their brother is sick, and what is their thought? They say, we need Jesus. They send for him. He doesn't go. And the rest of the story happens that he shows up and things change. But what we know is this. Jesus knew his friend was going to die. And we see how he responds to that later. That'll be not next week, but the week after. No, it'll be next week. So, he starts off with this. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son might be glorified through it. Jesus tells us literally why this whole thing's happening. Lazarus is dying so that the Son might be glorified. What does that mean? What does it mean for God to be glorified? I mean, it's a word we use a lot. We, we literally just sang about it some. What do you think it means? Worship, okay. Worship. That's another word, though, that we don't define so often. Worship is actually not a Greek word. It's an Old English word. Uh, it's from worth-ship, which actually is one of those wonderful words that kind of gives you the definition. Pam right now is studying um, my word Dutch. Not Dutch. Yeah, Dutch. Um, and she's, been, she's going to Amsterdam in October? November. Um, 
and she's studying Dutch, and I hear some of the words, and it's interesting because I, I can't read Dutch, but some of the words come out, and you're like, oh, I know what that means. Like, she, the one she did yesterday was like, we'll drink milk. Apparently, the Dutch drink a lot of milk. At least that's what uh, Duolingo thinks. Uh, I'm sorry, what? Yes! We're, we're about to have a Dutch contingency in the church. Wow, that was not the way I thought this was going to go. <laughs> you hear it and you understand it. Worship is one of those wonderful words. It's in Old English, worship. It is literally the declaration of worth. You, you, you declare somebody's worth. Clancy, you're, you're studying to be a certified financial planner. You, you deal with retirement right now. You know, what's the worth here? You look it up all the time. You probably have spreadsheets all the time of saying, what is this worth here? What we do when we worship, it's not just some fancy word that's just church-wise. We're declaring God's worth. That's why it's so much more than singing. That's why you will never hear me here refer to it as now we're going to worship in the sense of singing. Uh, If you notice what I usually say is Jason and Lindsay are going to lead us in singing now because singing is a type of worship, but it is by no means the only worship. You worship God when you do your job and you do it well and you do it for him. You worship God when you make a meal and you do it well because you want to please those that you love. We declare God's worth. And Jesus is literally saying here, the death that he's about to go through, the sickness that he's going to go through, is going to speak about who I am. As a matter of fact, he even goes past that a little bit. If you look uh, afterwards, he says this. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you might believe. See, the hard thing for me to get here is, is Jesus... That was me. Yeah, that's true. It can't go any further. Jesus was doing this, and it was still a loving act. The passage says multiple times that he loved Martha and Mary. He loved Lazarus. We know he loved his disciples. And so often this can be viewed as not a loving act to wait. But what I know is if God is loved, then everything he does is a loving act. I don't mean by that if, in the sense of, oh, if God does it, then it's loving, because that's, that can kind of smack of abusive father type mindset. I'm just doing this for your love. No, literally, he's doing things for their best. Now, you've experienced this. You've experienced things in your life where you knew they were terrible and painful at the moment, but afterwards you became very thankful for them. I know you're a runner. I know you are a runner that put me in, puts me and Clancy to shame because you've been giving him advice on things, and he's told me stories about your running. As a runner, unless you're not running well at all, you're really fighting pain all the time. I'm going to guess as a runner you know who Prefontaine is. Anybody else in the room know who Prefontaine is? Okay, I was going to say, all the runners are right. Pre! is <laughs> a runner for Oregon. Uh, he was amazing. He died young. But he has a saying that he ran to see who could handle pain. Because at the end of the day, all of us can run. The difference between her and me is not the ability to run. It's that when she starts hurting, she continues. When I start hurting, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to slow down a little. (laughs) 
that 10 minute pace, that's not so bad. Look at that. I passed that guy. <laughs> he doesn't have any legs, but that's okay. I know that wasn't funny. <laughs> okay, I don't think it was the guy that I think it was more, it was inappropriate. Guys, Jesus knows this is going to hurt. It's not going to just hurt them. It's going to hurt him. But he also knows it's for the best. Now, that can be complicated because we know that he knew he was possibly going to face death as a result. The disciples said it. They said, Rabbi, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going back. And he, he says it later on, okay? It says this, Then one of them named Caiaphas, this is actually the head priest, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. This will be read later on. We literally see within the text multiple times Jesus is going to face death as a result of going to Bethany and what's going to happen. We see at the end of this passage, when Lazarus is raised from the dead, what happens? Well, this is when the high priest says this. They respond to the miracle of life defeating death by going, we've got to get rid of this man. If you skip a chapter ahead, they want to get rid of Lazarus too. They start making plans to kill Lazarus in the 12th chapter. Why? Because you can't have a walking miracle around all the time that is proclaiming the glories of God and saying Jesus defeats death. We know this is going to be costly to Jesus. But we know it hurts those that we're following him too. I mean, do you care? It's not a new story. We have it said multiple times of, Lord, do you care? When he's in the boat and the disciples are facing the storm, they respond with, hey, Lord, do you care? Don't you care? When Mary and Martha are serving him later, or excuse me, earlier on, Martha responds with, well, Mary is out here doing all of this, and I'm doing all the hard work. Lord, don't you care? It's a word or phrase that may sound familiar to you because you may be thinking, Jesus says he loves me. He's supposed to take care of this. And what is happening? He's waiting over there. Don't you care? And what I'm convinced that the story of Lazarus shows us is he does care. He cares when he waits there. He cares when he arrives and he cares when he sees what it's going to cost him afterwards. But that's hard for me to remember. It's easy for me to remember when everything's going well. I, I, when, when I am driving down a, a back road and when Wisconsin is really green as it's supposed to be, not the green we have right now because of the lack of water, but you know, that, that green that comes from spring, and to be completely honest, I turn up the radio with Rich Mullins and some of his, his music that he's playing. And if you don't know who Rich Mullins is, let me introduce you to him. He was the best Christian singer the world has ever known. Maybe the psalmist beats him, but I'm not entirely sure about that. But when he starts playing uh, on, on his hammer dulcimer and all of this Celtic influence comes up, it's like the green starts dancing and everything is wonderful. It's easy for me to remember it then. 
but it's not when it hurts. When it's my own pain or when I'm sitting with someone else in their pain, and we are praying and saying, God, take this away, and he doesn't, it is very easy for me to say, Lord, don't you care? Maybe it's not for you. But it's easy for me to say that. As many of you know, my side gig is, is being in a chaplain, and literally my job is to just sit with other people in their pain. And to be honest, I'm good at it. But I don't like it. It hurts to be there with someone else when they are hurting. And I understand why they would struggle saying, Lord, don't you care? But what I know is this passage is saying again and again, he does. We just always don't understand it and see it. Now, the word Bethany is the city where they were. And I was hoping Aaron would be here today because he is a bit of a Hebrew geek. Um, Anytime you see bet in an Old Testament word, it literally means house. So like the word Bethany here means house of affliction or poverty. Uh, it, it could be translated as the poor house. So literally Jesus is going to the house of affliction to be there with Mary and Martha right after their brother whom they loved has died. And so often we are in our own personal houses of affliction and we're wondering where Jesus is. Now on the cover of your bulletin, I try to pick a, a quote every week that I put up there that for me helps convey what I believe God wants to say through the, the scripture. I get real picky about it. It's, it's the last thing I pick, okay? Uh, I, I usually, it's either that or the question. So those are the last things that go in the bulletin. They're the last things that are done after the sermon's done. This week it comes from a prayer that's written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The quote is this, I do not understand your ways, but you know the way for me. Now, if you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, you know that he was a prisoner because he was a part of a, a plot to kill Hitler. Uh, Bonhoeffer is a very interesting character. He was a world-class theologian who was also a pacifist. Not that those things are separate typically, but the reason I bring this up is he's a pacifist who ended up participating in a plot to kill Hitler. Most pacifists, you may not know this about pacifism, but most pacifists try to avoid killing other people. It's kind of a part of the nature. But Bonhoeffer reached a point where he said, I don't know what else to do. And at this point, I feel like doing nothing is worse than, than doing something. And he, he literally prayed, saying, God, if this is not your will, I need you to stop me. It's a wonderful thing, okay? We can trust God to help us follow his will. But while he was in prison for trying to kill Hitler, it was a failed attempt. Have you ever, ever watched the movie that uh, Tom Cruise was in where he was uh, a German general? Um, and they did that. That's the plot, okay? The plot where they took the briefcase up, put it at the end of the table. It, didn't, it blew up, but it didn't kill Hitler. And actually, the irony is Hitler then thought he was invincible after that. 
So the plot actually may have worsened things. Um, but that's the plot. He's in jail as a result of that. And while he's in jail, Bonhoeffer, while begging and pleading and saying, God, where are you? also understands that God is around him and all of his fellow prisoners. This comes out of a prayer he wrote for all of his fellow prisoners on Christmas. I I tried to get somebody to read it uh, this week. I couldn't get somebody, uh, and I I didn't feel like doing it myself. I want other people up here all the time. Uh, But I will share the whole prayer with you. It's a wonderful prayer. But what I love is in the midst of his time in prison where he is going to die, okay, He's going to be hung as they're coming close to freeing the prison. As the allies are getting there, the Germans say, we have to get rid of this. And in order to humiliate him all the more, they hang him in the nude so that he will be embarrassed somehow. Bonhoeffer writes this. Not some great theology saying, this is why all of this is happening. I understand now why all of this is happening, and it's all okay. What he says is, I don't understand your ways. You do things in ways that don't make any sense to me. Your time does not seem to work in my time. But I know you know the way for me. Scripture says again and again, the psalmist says that your ways are not our ways, God, and your time is not my time. And in our circumstances, he doesn't always respond the way we want him to. And he definitely does not always respond in the time we want him to. But what I know from Scripture, what I know from my own experience, is even when I feel like crying, Lord, don't you care? His answer is always, yes, I do. I'm there with you. It's the irony of, Lord, don't you care? He was in the boat with the disciples while the storm was going on. He just wasn't responding the way they wanted him to. When you face it in your relationships, when you face it in your parenting, when you face it in your career, when you face it in your education, when you face it in all the circumstances around you, in your struggles, and you feel like saying, Lord, don't you care? Hear me now. He loves you very much. And even if he's not responding the way you want him to right now, he's doing it because of his love for you. In Dante's poem, The Divine Comedy, he describes the gates of hell. And on one side of the gates of hell, it says, Abandon ye hope, all who enter. But on the other side, it says, I was made by the God of love. Because even hell is an act of God's love. That is retribution. He's saying, you want to be somewhere else? Okay. So before I end, does anybody have anything to add? Because you've been very quiet today. Okay, Eric, I'm going to tell a story about your your daughter slightly without your permission, but I know you well enough to know you're okay with this. Um, And if I'm not, you can punch me, okay? So last week, 
Pam was doing nursery, and Maya and the other two glazed daughters were back there. And we began to sing our closing prayers. And for those of you that your your first time here, our closing prayer is always the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. We sing it every week. And one of the things I, I adore, I adore, it makes me so happy, is so many of the families that are part of Tapestry have begun to take have been taking the doxology and it has become a part of your family. Some of you use it as a blessing before meals. Some of you use it as, as a prayer for other times. What I know is, because of your daughter, I know the glazes use it to get ready for bedtime. Uh, at least that's what I heard from this story, and that's correct. Okay. So last week, we all began to sing, sing the doxology. Apparently, we did a really good job of it because they heard it all the way back there. And when we sang the doxology, Pamela, how did Maya respond? She heard the doxology, but she interpreted it wrong. God not showing up and answering your prayer in the way you want it to be answered, at the time you want it to be answered, does not mean He does not love you. If anything, it means He does love you. He is doing it for your best. Now, it's not going to feel that way but he knows the plans he has for you. And they are plans for you to prosper. They are plans for you to grow. They are plans, most importantly, for you to become more and more like his son. When we interpret them as, he doesn't love me, he doesn't care, we're misinterpreting. One day we will be able to look back and we will be able to see his loving hand over all of it. And it doesn't mean it won't be painful. It will be. It means he was still allowing it to happen for your good, for others' good, that his glory might be proclaimed, that his worth might be proclaimed. So, Hopefully Maya's not going to think it's bedtime, but would you join with me in singing our closing prayer? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. If you go back and read that passage, I think you will be amazed at how often it says that Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters. It may not have looked like it, but he did. I hope you have a great week. I hope you remember that you are loved, that you are special, and that you respond to yourself with that same type of love. Have a great week. If you're on video,